Hello and welcome to Behind the Buyouts, the deals podcast where we sit down with pros from the world of private equity and venture capital and drill down into their deals. My name is Steve Jelsey. I'm senior writer covering private equity firms for the deal. Today we're joined by David Magill, President and Chief Investment Officer of Main Street Capital Corp., a publicly traded business development company that trades under the symbol Main, M-A-I-N, with a market capitalization of about $2.7 billion. David, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Steve. So you're ranked about fourth among publicly traded BDCs in terms of market cap. That's the after Aries Capital, Owl Rock Capital, and Prospect Capital Corp. We're going to talk about your company, business development companies, and your view on the economy through the lens of your main street sized portfolio companies. But first, let's take a look at BDCs in general. You co-founded Main Street Capital in 2002, so you must really believe in the BDC story. What attracted you as an investor to BDCs, and how have they been delivering for investors in general in terms of distributable net income per share? Right. So, Steve, we did decide to take our private funds public through the BDC structure years ago with the intent of being able to allow our investors to appreciate and be able to participate in our privately held business investments, both through the debt and equity And the reason we thought that was so important is as an individual investor, it's very difficult to get access to the types of companies we invest in, privately held, small, typically US-based companies. So by being a public entity, that allows for an investor to go and to buy a share of our stock and get a diverse portfolio of companies across the United States in all different industry segments. And we thought for our purposes, we were better suited to spend our time and energy focused on making investments than raising capital perpetually every 10 years in a new fund format. That's the reason we went public through the BDC structure. So you decided that you were going to go public and you decided not to be a regular private equity firm. Take us back to 2002 when you put the firm together. Bring us back to the roots. It'd be interesting to hear that. Sure. So back in 2002, we started as an SBIC fund. Essentially, what that means simplistically is we have capital that we raised from our own private investors. We also got capital from the U.S. Small Business Administration to allow us to make investments in small privately held business. And the purpose of the program is to find opportunities to grow small privately held businesses in a public-private partnership. And what we found was that we had done a good job of finding this niche in the market where there was real capital needs in privately held businesses and to match that with our type of capital. And as we grew, we realized that this need was larger than we initially had anticipated and that we had great opportunities to put that capital to work, which is why we ultimately ended up going public through the BDC structure. So Main Street is able to contribute debt and equity to your deals. That's a little bit unusual. Among BDCs, you've got about 174 companies across all your products and a university of roughly, I don't know, 100,000 or 200,000 companies in the lower middle market that you're looking at. Is that your deal range in terms of number of potential clients out there? So how are you able to find good deals in the lower middle market nowadays? I mean, things are very frothy right now. The prices, M&A prices are very high. And does this ability to contribute debt and equity help you find better deals? Yeah. So... It is a large universe. There are companies all across the United States that we see every day and we interact with every day through either our private lives or through our uh, businesses that very often we don't think of as opportunities for investment. So as we look at the opportunities, these are in family-owned businesses. A lot of the businesses we invest in are multi-generational. They have a founder that may 
have started the business opportunistically years ago with two or three partners, uh, some of which are now looking to do different things. Uh, but the underlying business needs a capital provider, a capital partner to replace a partner over time, or you have family members who retire out of the business. So our view is that there's this tremendous need out there to look for capital that can be control capital when the need is there, but also minority capital, meaning minority ownership, not necessarily the whole business. So our job is to go in and find those businesses that need capital for growth purposes, for buyout purposes, whatever the, the need might be, and then to customize the solution. The majority of the market approaches it as a buyout of 100% of the equity or substantially most of the equity. And our view is that you know, with privately held businesses and with families, having a customized solution is particularly important. And the universe of baby boomers and such, and with just the passage of time, there is an opportunity for us to go out and to customize these solutions listen very carefully to the needs of the owners of those businesses, and then provide that capital. Sometimes that can be mostly debt. Sometimes it needs to have substantial equity checks. If you can find a good business with a good need to transact, our job is to go in to figure out how to make that happen. Yeah, that, that's a good point, David. There's not as much visibility into this market. And if you have some insights into this market, you can definitely get some good deals. Are you seeing that prices are kind of frothy right now? Valuations are kind of frothy and without effect, how you're able to win deals at all? Yeah, so there are always in the market for good companies with great opportunity sets, valuations will find their level set. So our view is that we invest through the cycle. We're not overly intimidated by when things are uh, characterized as frothy or when they're characterized as value-oriented. At the end of the day, the way that we've created value for our investors is by investing through the cycle, finding really good companies that have got great opportunity sets, partnering with the management teams, giving them the capital they need to execute on their plan. So the distraction of uh, you know a multiple that might be a little bit higher today than it was yesterday isn't really the impetus for our investment strategy. Our strategy is to go and to have a very diverse portfolio. Like you referenced earlier, we've got over 170 companies we have investments in. We're not trying to time the markets. Uh, we're trying to get a robust portfolio of investments for our publicly held shareholders that allows them to get access to this smaller privately held company asset class. And then our job is to motivate through participation in the equity, the managers at those uh, portfolio companies, partner with them, provide them the capital they need to grow. And if we just keep on doing that and sticking to our knitting, we're going to do well by our investors and by our portfolio company partners. Because the BDC is almost like an index fund in this sense. I think of it that way. I don't know if that's right or not, but instead of forming a basket of common equity stocks, say like the S&P 500, an index fund with the 500 stocks in the S&P 500, you hold debt and equity in about 170 companies and you sell your shares. So I think I just see a similarity there. But whether or not that's a good model or not, what are you hearing from your borrowers about the U.S. economy right now? Is kind of a weird way of asking the question, but uh, you do have a pulse on a lot of these companies, and how are they feeling about where their businesses are heading in 2021? Absolutely. So what you referenced is almost like an index fund of privately held companies is a well-stated way to show what we have for our portfolio of investments for our investors. Effectively, if you want to get access as the individual investor to a privately held company that might be 20 million or 50 million in revenues, it's very difficult to gain access to those types of investments. So our job is to get that very diverse portfolio available to our universe of publicly held uh, shareholders. 
So when you think about the index kind of analogy, we do have investments in manufacturing, distribution, business services, you name it, we've got some exposure to it. Uh, That's very intentional. So when we look at the overall economy, which is kind of the second part of your question, you know, there are certain parts of the economy that are looking very robust right now. We've seen our portfolio company execs go from a year ago now, absolute reaction to the pandemic and to looking at the well-being of their employees and uh, their trading partners to now be back at expansion mode and back to knitting and creating value for themselves and for us as partners. So it's really interesting. It's all dependent on the end markets, retail, restaurants, they're still recovering. Whereas we've had some very strong responses to other segments of the environment or the economy, consumer discretionary income with all the stimulus dollars that have been out there. There's been a lot of movement and progress made on the, both the sales and the profitability levels of those companies. So it's really dependent on the industry segment. And your inflationary fears there, you know, gasoline's over $3 a gallon right now. There've been a lot of headlines about inflation. People's wages are going up, but prices are going up as well. I guess that has a double impact on you because you're a lender. So a lender has to respond to changes in inflation. And as well as your portfolio companies, they have to maybe adjust their prices. They have to see if they can, you know, if their customers can absorb higher prices and what that impact might have. So kind of a double whammy there on inflation. What are your thoughts? We're seeing a lot of headlines on this in 2021. Yeah, there's no question that inflation has become a topic of conversation at all of our portfolio companies. Material prices have increased. Labor shortages have led to inflation on wages. Uh, We're seeing it on all different industry segments. So as it relates to what our responses are at the portfolio companies, they're thoughtfully looking to pass through their pricing where they can. I can tell you that I've had multiple discussions with companies in all different industries that are responding by pushing through price increases. A lot of times we're not leading, we're following the market in that respect. Larger companies tend to lead and as smaller companies can be more nimble in the way they respond. The question is how and when they bring those price increases to market. But there's no question that inflation has uh, begun to rear its head and, and it's a topic of conversation in all of our companies. And as a lender, though, you know, in the banking system, to me, it seems like interest rates are so low right now that if, it, if interest rates go up a little bit higher, it's almost going to be a return to normal in some ways, or at least normal prior to like the global financial crisis, because in, interest rates have been extremely low since man, 2007, 2008. So as a lender, how does inflation impact Main Street? So uh, good question. As a lender and as, a, as an investor, we're very mindful about the cost of capital. You're right that the cost of capital has been extremely low for an extended period of time. And so it's just continuing to look at and stress test and think about the amount of money that needs to be made to cover operating costs and the external costs. And in those companies that have floating rate instruments, being mindful of you you might have a higher cost of capital tomorrow than you had today or yesterday. Many of our investments in our private companies in the segment of our business, lower middle market, we're matching those rates. So many of them are fixed rate securities, but we're matching the rates for our cost of capital with long-term capital that we raise in the public markets or in the private markets. So from our perspective, the impact is something to be mindful of and to keep at the top of our minds, but it's not dramatically impacting today our views on the medium term. Okay, great. So last year during 2020, your share price, along with everybody else's, dropped precipitously in March when the pandemic took hold. And so at at one point, 
the value of your stock or the, the market cap of your company was less than your net asset value of your loan portfolio, that was a difficult situation to be in. So that's my way of just kind of asking you, how did you navigate the depths of the short crisis we went through last year? Uh, a lot of sleepless nights, right? Uh, so it wasn't fun pulling up our stock price. You're right. We, we uh, traded uh, down significantly like the rest of the market did. But at, at that moment in time, what we were really focused on is creating value. We all knew that it was overplayed. We knew the value that we had in our portfolio. And historically, we've traded at a premium to our net asset value. We knew that we'd return to that when things settled down. At the end of the day, the, the most important thing we can do is to create value in investments that we have, provide good insights, provide that capital to those companies, and help the management teams to navigate the opportunity sets that exist. So in some instances, there were portfolio companies that came to us and said that there were companies that were available in their marketplace they wanted to acquire. We entered the crisis with a lot of capital availability. We expanded our capital availability coming out of the crisis and, and, and throughout it. So where we stood, we focused on what we could control, which is the 174 companies that we had, particularly the ones in the low middle market, we had equity, creating the opportunity sets for them and working with them to advise in a way that would create value. So yeah, it's no fun to see our stock price go down. What's interesting is in a private environment, right? if you have a private fund, private LP interest in a private equity fund, it's more intuitive because you're not seeing the stock price every day go up and down. We have that, but it's more by virtue of perception than reality in the portfolio. Yep, that's exactly right. So let's move on to new products. Main Street Capital launched MS Private Loan Fund 1 recently. Tell us about this product and how it's doing. Sure. So Steve... As you, as you know, we've got three different products in our public company, the majority of which are the, the primary focuses in the lower middle market where we make debt and equity investments in, in privately held companies. One of the largest segments that we have is something called our private loan portfolio, where we're essentially more lenders than equity owners, predominantly to private equity-backed deals. That portfolio is growing quite nicely for us. As a publicly held company, we're one of the few that's internally managed. What that means is that my salary is out there uh, in the public domain, as are all of my partners here at Main Street. We do not charge a management fee to our public shareholders. Our salaries and all of our compensation are, are part of that, as are the public company expenses. So as we've grown our private loan portfolio and opportunity sets in individual companies, we're finding that we've got so much opportunity that we have brought in partners over time. When we went public back in 07, we stopped with our private funds. We since had a private partnership that's a privately held BDC for which we manage it. Our public company receives funds for that. As we were growing this private loan portfolio, it became clear that there was opportunity to place an individual company perhaps more than we could prudently put on our balance sheet or on some of these other funds that we manage. So we raised our own fund where we can benefit from the fee income as the public company, but also be a bigger piece of those individual investments that we're making uh, by way of being able to place more of it within the hands of investors that we know. So that was the reason for that announcement. And we're thrilled to be back in the private markets raising capital, which we think will benefit all of our shareholders quite nicely going forward. 
Okay, well, you talked about liquidity in the as a borrower in terms of the liquidity in the banking system. So Main Street Capital um, issued three hundred million dollars in investments grade notes. That's I guess debt that the Main Street Capital itself is issuing, and you use that to boost your liquidity and strengthen your company's capital structure. How would you describe demand for your company's debt on this particular transaction? And do you think you'll be returning to the debt markets as a note issuer in twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two? We're always looking at our capitalization by nature of what we do as investors. We think very prudently about the mix of debt and equity and availability. Uh, The most important thing is that we have the availability when it's mostly less available. Uh, And that was seen in the public markets back to the pandemic. Uh, We've always had ample availability. As we put our capital to work, we look at our balance sheet and try to figure out how we can term out some debt, have that opportunistically available to us as we find uh, new investments. And we're balancing our deal pipeline when we're putting capital to work with the capital that we borrow from the markets. So we, we have a revolver. We have a revolving credit facility that's in excess of $800 million. We've got a number of note offerings. And so, yes, we determined that it was a good time with interest rates being low and with a good credit rating to go raise that $300 million. And we'll return to the markets as time goes on, as we put capital to work, when we think it's prudent to balance our capital availability that we rely on through our credit facility versus in-term notes. So Main Street deployed about $100 million in the last quarter. Tell us about some of your most recent investments or your favorite recent deals that would illustrate where the firm is headed. So in the first quarter, and we're seeing this continue on here, We saw some opportunities that were very consistent with what we've done historically, family-owned or entrepreneurially-owned businesses that were looking for capital for various reasons. Two of the recent investments we made, one was in a company called Nebraska Vet Services, another one was in a company named Colonial Electric. They're very typical of our types of investments that we make, partnering with the entrepreneurs, partnering with the folks that are already there and executing in their plan. In the case of Nebraska Vet Services, there's capital availability to grow uh, both organically and inorganically in providing veterinary services and other products within their geographic region. In the case of Colonial Electric, which is based on the East Coast, it was capital provided to recapitalize the company back the existing management team and to grow their footprint. So we're constantly looking at companies on an annual basis. We'll look at over a thousand opportunities in the lower middle market to close 10 or a dozen platform investments. And we're also deploying quite a bit of capital in our existing portfolio companies, helping them to expand by way of acquisitions and plant expansions. So it's just a, it's a really exciting time. And I do think that as we look on through the rest of the year with the fears out there for some of the tax implications that are being talked about with the current administration, uh, that's creating more and more transaction opportunities for us as shareholders look at if they're going to transact and try to take some chips off the table, better to do it sooner rather than later in what's a known capital gains environment than what might change in future years. So we're seeing quite a bit of transaction flow come our way and the investment bankers are busy as can be working on bringing opportunities to market. I remember a few years ago, there was something called the fiscal cliff when some taxes were supposed to take effect. And so is it another fiscal cliff that we're approaching right now? Uh, I mean, if you ask some of our entrepreneurs uh, that are out there we're talking to these days, they certainly believe so. I think that we went through this, we've gone through this in the past in other periods where taxes have changed. 
there's a frenzy that takes place. And some of it is founded, some of it can be unfounded, but nonetheless, perception is reality. And so it has been a good economic run overall, putting aside the COVID impact the last year or so, we think that we're going to see a lot of opportunity sets out there for our type of capital over the course of the next 12 months. So you mentioned, you know, your portfolio has very diverse exposure to the economy. Some parts of the economy, you know, the retail sector, for example, and travel and leisure have been impacted. Are you tempted to sort of redistribute your sector focus at all? Do you, maybe to, to, to skew it more towards tech, which has been growing a lot more quickly, or you think it's better to kind of keep everything more balanced? Yeah, our, our view is always to keep it balanced. What we found is that our investors are looking for diversity. And if we overweight, what I do know is we're not great at market timing. And I don't want to be in a position where we overweight into a segment of the economy and get it wrong. I will tell you that there are a number of our portfolio companies over time that have grown quite nicely in the tech and in some really attractive sectors out there that we have deployed additional capital with. We've got a number of actionable opportunities right now that we're super excited in, in segments that I can't get into detail on, but that we, we're, we're excited about. And we're constantly looking at that portfolio composition and looking for opportunity sets in areas that we think are going to grow greater than the overall economy. So let me ask you about consolidation in the specialty finance space, because Aries has been an acquirer of BDCs. And you know consolidation is happening in every industry. What do you think is going to be happening with M&A in your sector? I'm not exactly sure, Steve. I mean, there's a lot of talk out there, and there has been for years about consolidation. I mean, I think the best thing we can do is stick to our knitting, create value for our shareholders, and respond to opportunity sets as they become available. We have seen some transactions done in our industry, but but by most part, I think that the strong will continue to grow. And what you see, you cited it earlier, are a couple of larger BDCs out there, and then there are a bunch that are smaller. Our view is that we want to continue to prudently put the capital to work and we'll look at opportunities and whether they're in or outside the sector as they present themselves. Okay. All right. David Magdal, President and Chief Investment Officer of Main Street Capital Corp. Thanks for joining us. Great. Thanks for the time, Steve. This is Steve Jelsey, Senior Writer at The Deal, signing off. This has been Behind the Buyouts. <laughs>